I lift my eyes to the mountain. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will not sleep nor slumber. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. So welcome to our time around Scripture together today. I'd invite you to take your Bible, please, and turn to Psalm 121. It'll be a few minutes before we get there, but right in the middle of the Bible, Psalm 121. And I do want to thank uh, some of our students of the Arts Academy for both leading us through Psalm 121 as well as showing us some of their artwork. And you, you probably noticed a theme in their paintings. You saw a, little, a lot of those budding artists give us their renditions of mountains. And here's one of them again. And as you're looking at that, uh, we're going to chat about mountains today, the way in which their soaring heights bring awe and wonder. But before we get to the soaring heights and the wonder and the awe, we're going to have to do a little bit of uh, theological work today. And it might even be perhaps a little more challenging this week, so I'd invite you to settle in, if you will, listen hard and quickly, and even, I could say it this way, strap on a seatbelt. We're continuing our way through the book of Psalms, and I would remind you that if you'd like to join us in this endeavor, there, are, there is a reading plan where you can read various Psalms. You can find it on the church's website. That's firstdecatur.org. Go there, read along. You'll also find some weekly devotions there, twice a week presented by some of our staff members. These Psalms we're reading are some 3,000 years old, there are 150 of them throughout the Bible. They're right in the very center. And over the years, biblical scholars have assigned them, if you will, a, a, a broad category of various themes. Uh, for example, there are psalms which praise God. They simply say that, praise be to you, God. There are the imprecatory psalms that Pastor Brian brought to us last week where language is given about how the writers, frankly, they, dis, they despise a particular individual. There are psalms of repentance. We'll look at one of those next week. And then there, the, the, there, we have the psalms that we're looking at today. They're known as lament psalms. And lamenting psalms simply do that. They express a language of, uh, a language of lament. They, they echo words like, oh, God, where are you? Can you hear me? Is it worth me even, God, is it worth me even stating that I feel alone? Like, for example, here's some portions of Psalm 44, some words of lament and struggle. Scripture says, we've heard it with our own ears, O God. Our ancestors have told us of what you did in their days and days long ago. And with your hand, you drove out the nations and you planted our ancestors. You made them flourish. But now, now you've rejected and humbled us. You've given us up to be devoured like sheep. You've scattered us among the nations. And God, what's with this? We are brought down to the dust. And you'll see that the psalmist is basically lamenting something that's happening within the national setting of Israel. And while some lamenting in the psalms is personal, there's also a great deal 
of national distress. Things like, God, we feel like devoured sheep. Our nation is in disarray. It sort of feels like this appropriate language, an appropriate response to COVID-19, right? God, this disease is impacting our globe. Our nation is dis it's in disarray. And frankly, God, I'm sick and tired of potentially being sick and tired. Now, when we read these uh, Psalms of Lament, particularly in the national setting, we must take care to not simply transpose our setting onto Scripture. We've got to have some caution because ancient Israel's story, it's not the story of our nation. And the lives of people some 3,000 years ago in some ways are very dissimilar from ours. Yet at times, their language is very helpful. And particularly if the Psalms, the Lament Psalms, if they give language to national distress, then they're very helpful for us today. For example, it'd be really wise for those of us here in the U.S. to step into some language of national lament before God when it comes to a setting that has appeared in our nation, in our corporate life, sadly, yet again. Perhaps you're aware of the murder of a young man in Georgia back in February. And with horror, we would say it appears this young 25-year-old was gunned down for one simple reason, the color of his skin. Now, I understand the legal constraints we all live by. We choose to presume innocence until there's a guilty or non-guilty verdict. Our culture says we don't try people through the court of public opinion. And I've got to say, fair enough. However, would you join with me in lamenting that our nation has a history of violence against people of color? And as a church committed to speaking and caring for the young, for the elderly, for the marginalized, for those who have voices who, that are rarely heard, Ahmad Aubrey's voice is calling from his grave. Our nation must lament the racism of the past. And sadly, tragically, we must lament that it still exists. It appears that racism was most recently demonstrated through a shotgun wielded by two men using a pickup truck to chase a black kid out for his usual evening jog. What do you call that? Isn't that evil? God, I lament. God, forgive us. God, forgive us for undermining your image, the image of God found in every human being and in, in all people. God, forgive us for failing to recognize the beauty and the glory of the ways your creation is expressed in color and differences. I lament. In fact, I grieve. So yes, lament psalms are useful for national distress. They're also helpful for personal matters. For example, look at Psalm 13. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? Lord, I've been waiting for, it feels like it's going on. How long will you hide your face from me? How long, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts? Uh, God, day after day, there's sorrow in my heart. Perhaps this is your personal cry during this COVID-19 struggle. Lord, how much longer? 
How long? Day after day, I have sorrow in my heart. You know, I'm glad this is in the Bible. Why? Because it affirms how you and I feel in the moments of personal distress. How long, Lord, is this sorrow going to stay in my heart? That's my sense in some ways. I mean, there are moments of laughter of day, in recent days, of course, but who are we kidding? We also saw deeply what's happening in our lives, in my life, in yours, in your family's story, in my family's story. You had things planned this spring and this summer that are now, I mean, they're all in question. I mean, we, we had some plans throughout the spring to visit family members. You know, our family spread out across the country. We were going to go see my parents in Canada. That trip disappeared. Les was going to go see our kids in New York. That trip disappeared. Right this weekend, on your behalf, Leslie and I were supposed to be moving, if you will, or going from Kenya to Central Asia. We were doing a pastoral trip on your behalf to visit our missionaries there. And uh, isn't that the sense you have at times? Uh, we miss seeing and holding family members. We miss seeing and holding our friends. And friends, I got to tell you, I miss you. I miss seeing you in this building. I miss seeing you in worship and in joyful life together. And I'll use this word. I hate it. I'm not very impressed with this business so far. In fact, I'm aware of this, that our church is not in a normal setting right now. And I want to address this for you today. But to do so, I'm going to leave this production set and take our cameras to a place of familiarity. And I invite you to join me there. This is our West Auditorium. As you can see, it looks a little bit different than what we normally would, we would say, because we've got it set up for filming and producing, if you will, our church online experience each weekend. It's the place where much of our life together has taken place for many years, obviously before this COVID-19 process and panic and pandemic began. Since the middle of March, we've not been in here, we've not been in the East Auditorium or in any other space in the building. First Christian Church is not closed, we are simply not meeting in our building, and we are very much alive and engaged in ministry. Our online experience has helped keep us meet together. But what, do we, what can we say about the days ahead? You've probably heard that some churches in our community have announced some beginning plans to reconvene sooner than later. Now, friends, we're not going to take that position, and here's why. A church of our size, I want to say this with humility, but a church of our size has constraints that other churches don't face. The governor has indicated it will be some months before gatherings of more than 10, but less than 50 will be permitted. And that raises questions for us. How does, how does that impact a church that sees really right at 2,000 people gather with us at least once every month? I respond to that by saying, um, to whom much is given, much is required. We have much in our life together. Our responsibilities, yeah, then because of that, they're different than what others might face. And I, I do hope you sense some humility in that statement. We are a church that um, has always worked to protect the innocent. We've always stood with those who have no voice. And if we hold that to, to that view, then we have to consider those who might be immune-compromised and elderly. And Jesus says to care for the least of the people. And how do we do that? I'm like you. 
I want to rebel at the authorities who say what I can and cannot do in these United States. I mean, individual rights and the freedom together, they are part of the bedrock of our culture. You may recall, I do, that someone in the past threw a bunch of tea in a harbor called Boston over things like this, right? I will tell you, right now, there are days when I'm looking for a big cedar chest full of tea leaves, and I'm ready to rebel. I'm looking for the harbor. But in the midst of that, Jesus' call to turn my rights upside down is stronger than my inclination to do as I want. You know, Jesus told the parable of the great shepherd leaving 99 sheep in order to go and find the one that was lost, alone, and vulnerable. 99 left in safety for the one that wasn't safe. Consequently, for the sake of the vulnerable, we will continue our practice of not meeting in this building, at least for the time being. Now, our leadership has explored at length ideas surrounding some sort of drive-in church approach. Our congregation represents more than 900 households. That's a lot of cars. A drive-in approach without parking lot means that the 400 spaces could only accommodate 200 cars because the guidelines say every other space. The health requirements also indicate that all cars have to have their windows rolled up. Can you tell what age I am rolling the windows up? And that the building has to remain closed. There are no restroom facilities to be made available. And we wonder, okay, how would we manage that, let alone letting people get a decent sight line? In the end, we concluded that even with windows rolled up, car in every other spot, a drive-in service, unfortunately, would not meet the felt need that we are all feeling, and that is to be together physically again. So for the time being, we're going to continue our approach to ministry and our worship together in the present format, using this room and the East Auditorium as a production studio. Is it the best? Is it what we want? No, obviously not. It's our way, though, of saying, man, we're going to listen to the Lament Psalms because they indicate that sometimes life is very challenging. In fact, at times life requires choices that we don't always understand, and certainly others don't understand. Choices that require laying down our rights for the sake of others, particularly for those who have a fear of a disease, even while we may not hold to that position. We say we follow Jesus. He did that. He laid down his rights. He laid down his rights for us, and Pastor Brian is going to remind us of this as we take communion together, um, remembering who Jesus is in our lives and the call that he has upon us. Let's have communion together. So welcome back to our set and back to our time around scripture again. Let's go back and ask the question that we started our time together. What about the mountains? We like them, don't we? We like their majesty. We like how they force our eyes to the heavens. There's a psalm that talks about this, but not in the way you think. I want you to read between the lines and see if you can um, discover both the lament and the hope. Psalm 121 says this, I lift my eyes to the mountains, and where's my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip, and he who watches over you will not slumber. God's not asleep, in other words. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. 
The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. Now, this is a well-known psalm. And um, I must tell you that some people have read this incorrectly in the past. They've read that I lift my eyes to the mountains where my help comes from. No, that's not the, what the psalm is saying. It's a rhetorical question. It says, I'm looking around as far as the eye can see, even to the mountains. And I'm asking, this is such some misery right now. Is, is help on the way? It's a question. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where's my help coming from? And the answer is this, don't just look to the mountains, but look to where they point. The mountains are not the answer to our laments. Instead, the psalmist says, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, namely, the one who made the mountains. That's our God. That's our God who will not let your foot slip, slip and the one who watches over you for your whole life. He's not asleep. That's where our hope is found in the midst of laments. We run to God Almighty in Jesus Christ. Maybe I could explain it this way. Many years ago, and part of the life of our church who have been around for a long time, you remember this. Our congregation was in a really bad state. We had made a number of errors that resulted in a lot of wounding for a lot of people. It resulted in a significant number of staff resignations and our actions, I would say in retrospect, mostly made in naivete. Those actions brought a lot of pain to a number of people. And in hindsight, now I refer to that as our train wreck of 2003. It was a miserable experience. Frankly, friends, I wanted to quit. I wanted out of pastoral ministry in the worst way. I was weary of hit after hit. It's a long story of pain and struggle and wounding for many people, not just me. It's not about me, but there was a lot of hurt that went, there was a lot of hurt to go around. In the midst of those emotions, uh, the elders sent me on a recruiting trip and it was the winter of 2004, just a few months after all this mess had come out. And I was sent on my way by the elders and said, go figure out what we did wrong, talk to other churches. And while you're on your trip, you're going to have to find some new staff members. So off I went on the road by myself in a rental car. And one day, this is February of 2004, I was driving south on I-74 in the mountains of Tennessee. I-75, pardon me, I-75. I was angry, frankly, been by myself for two days at that point not really wanting to do what the elders had asked me to do. And I will tell you, friends, it was, the way I would describe it is this way, probably the lowest point in my life. The trees along the highway were bare. It was cold outside, it was bitter. The mountains were all around and the weather and the bleakness um, really described my soul. I was done in, I was wasted, I was dry. I didn't have answers for where we were nor where I was, done in. Going south on I-75, a CD was playing in the car and a pull-off appeared right there on the highway. And uh, there, there's this, this anger was building with me and I pulled off to the edge of this bluff and there was a parking place there where you could park five or six cars maybe. And I got out of the car, I was angry, I was distraught. Uh, I left the car running 
the door was open and I stepped up onto this ledge that was probably 18 inches high from the parking lot straight up into this ledge and there was a drop off right there. And I wasn't thinking of doing anything stupid or dangerous, but I was there by myself in the middle of winter. The barrenness of the moment um, echoing in my soul. And I remember standing on that ledge, my arms up, really screaming at the top of my lungs, basically saying, God, why did this happen? How long, God, are we going to live with this? And I'm looking at the mountains, God. And I, if you're coming with help, I don't know where it's coming from. At that very moment, as I'm yelling at God, seriously, out my mouth, not just in my heart, but yelling out loud, from the open door of the car, the CD, stop, not stops, but has a break between songs, and the next song starts, and it starts this way. I lift my eyes to the mountains, and where does my help come from? And after that rhetorical question, the, the singer and songwriter, a guy by the name of Tommy Walker, he answers it in his song. He says, it comes from you, Lord. You're the maker of earth and heaven. And God, there is nothing too hard for you. He refers in the song to the words of Jesus where he says, Lord, you said we'd face trouble and pain and fear, but to be of good cheer for you have overcome the world. And at that moment on that ledge in the mountains, in the bleak winter, that is the moment when God's help arrived for me. Scripture's lament echoed my thoughts. God, where are you? I'm looking around. All I see are mountains. Can I tell you something? The strangest thing happened. This big gust of wind came up from the valley below. I, I don't know if it was God, but it certainly wasn't there before I'm screaming at God, before I hear this scripture. That was the moment that my ministry turned around, friends. That very moment, standing there. I want you to watch and to listen to that lament, to that song that is inscribed with hope. I will run straight to you, though my heart
I'd like to pray with you and for you today. Our God in heaven, we come to you today and we acknowledge you're the God who made the mountains and the, the way in which they're shaped and they're, they really are awe-inspiring and they point our eyes toward you. I have friends joining with me in worship today, God, who they're at the end of their rope. They, they're, these lament psalms, that describes them. It describes how they feel. Lord, how much longer am I going to do this? How much longer is this going to carry on? I pray that you would infuse them with hope, that they would be men and women and children and young people who run to you. Run to you first, Lord, for our nation, for our world that's in great disarray and great distress. We pray for your grace for this day. Lord, we're asking for a change. We're asking for new days. We're asking, Lord, that these laments words, these ways in which we cry out to you, that you would indeed hear from heaven, that you would bring peace to our souls, you would bring grace to our world, that, Lord, we would experience who you are, that when we cry out and we say we don't know where to look, we will look to you, we will run to you, the maker of heaven and earth, will invade our lives. That is our prayer, God. In Christ's name, amen.